Many of our customers are young people such as you, she said. A lot of kids are interested in changing places with someone else for a week. She opened a little slot at the bottom of her window and pushed out a book. I picked it up and saw that it was a photo album. I opened it and started looking through it. It's kids, I exclaimed, all about my age. You can pick up a boy, or even a girl for that matter, Ms. Carmen said. But how does it work, I asked. Do I just go take over somebody's room and live in his house for a week, go to his school, wear his clothes? The woman laughed. It's far more interesting than that, Gary. With our getaway vacations, you actually become the other person for a week. Hello, and welcome to Say Podcast and Die, the podcast where two queers sit in a closet and talk about goosebumps. That's right. I'm Alyssa. I'm Andy. Yeah, we're your hosts. We are your co-hosts. That's right. So before we get into our book this week, I just wanted to say this episode is dropping the first week of November. We are recording it in early October. So if this feels out of step with what's going on in the world this week, since it's the week of the U.S. presidential election, that's why. Yeah, we don't know yet what's going to happen. Yeah. And either, I don't know, we'll be... I mean, we probably won't know this week either, but uh, yeah. yeah. I was saying to Andy that maybe our mini-sode this week should just be us drinking and refreshing 538. Uh, yeah, like four <laughs> years ago. I mean, better moment than to just spend some absurdist time thinking about bees. Bees. Beads. They don't allow you to have bees in here. Yeah, but we do allow them in here, at least in our hearts. talking about them. Oh, okay. That not, makes more sense. Not actual bees. <laughs> Aren't you allergic to bees? I've never been stung by a bee. So maybe. Because I was always afraid. What book are we book. talking about this week? <laughs> This week we are talking about Goosebumps number 17, Why I'm Afraid of Bees. Yes. I have a suggestion for an alternate title that I'm looking forward to getting to in our theories, because this book does not explain why why he's afraid of bees. That's right. The title is very inaccurate. Yeah. He starts out afraid of bees, and then by the end, he's not. Yeah. So we never really got why he was afraid of bees. Well, do you think the I might not be Gary? Mm. Our protagonist, Gary Lutz. Well, because so, it could be like R.L. Stein saying, "Why I'm afraid of bees." Yeah, I wrote this book. That, thing. I wrote this book. It doesn't explain anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the story could be why R.L. Stein is afraid of bees. Oh, because he was once turned into one. Because someone could be turned into one. Ah, I see. And it would be fucking weird. Yeah. Because bees draw out some specific types of horror that I'm looking forward to getting into. All right. A whole cluster's worth. <laughs> A comb's worth. <laughs> A swarm. Well, before we get into that, let's talk about our cover this week. What do we have here? Well, I love the bright orange cover, first of all, of the original Tim Jacobus design. The image is a bee body boy head, <laughs> a blonde boy with a flat top and surprised blue eyes with a bee body. It's really iconic. Everyone remembers this one. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of floating against an orange sky. And the tagline is, he's no ordinary human being. Oh. Which is funny. It is funny. It's both silly and creepy, which is something I really like about this book. Yeah. Like, it's incredibly absurd premise and also disturbing, much like life. Yeah. Absurd premise and disturbing. Yeah. Uh, it's like your Amazon review of life. Yeah. I mean, being a, a bag of meat, <laughs> you know, a primate with very little hair. Three out of five. Trying to teach literature. Would not recommend. What is the bee's eye view of this book? I mean, the bee's eye view would be like weirdly fragmented and geodesic. Yeah, it'd be like, so there were some flowers over here, and over there there were some flowers, but the nectar was pretty much all gone. <laughs> What's the bee's eye view? So we are following Gary Lutz, who is a 12-year-old who is very lonely. He's very klutzy. All the neighborhood kids call him Lutz the Klutz. 
There are bullies who pick on him. There are girls who laugh at him. He's very uncoordinated. I related very hard to Gary in a way that was deeply embarrassing. I did too. Yeah. While Gary is online, he finds an ad for a company that promises to help you get away from yourself. And so he goes to check out this company because he's sick of being himself. And this woman, Ms. Carmen, says, basically, we'll swap your mind into some other kid's body and some other kid will want to be in your body. And Gary is like, sweet, let's do that. So Gary's neighbor has a bunch of bees. He keeps a hive and is very snotty about it. One of the bees flies in. And then this weird thing happens where the mind of another kid goes into Gary's body and Gary's mind goes into a bee. And so the rest of the book is bee Gary trying to figure out how to become human Gary again. Yeah, that's basically it. And he does manage to. He does. In a very surprising way that doesn't really make sense. Yes. But there's a lot I don't know about science. That's true. I mean, if we've learned anything from Goosebumps, it's that we all need to learn a lot more about science. Yeah. So we open up with an introduction to the protagonist and his bee situation. He is a very fearful boy. Gary is. He's afraid of bees. He's afraid of the dark. He's afraid of his sister. He's afraid of their cat. I mean, again, I related to him. <laughs> it seems like other kids hate him for his fear. One thing I felt really bad for him at the beginning of this book, he's a 12-year-old, and I think like many of us did at 12, he spends a lot of time staring at himself in the mirror and trying to understand how people see him. He spends an hour looking at himself in the mirror, which is kind of a lot. He said over half an hour. Oh, I thought he said an hour. But anyway, he looks at himself and he says, you know, I just see a blonde boy, not unhandsome, but not handsome, with a skinny face. And I don't know why everybody looks at me and wants to beat me up or make fun of me. A lot of the book is about him feeling lonely and out of place. In addition to there being kids who pick on him, his neighbor is also kind of a douche to him for really no reason. Yeah, Mr. Andretti keeps bees and... In his garage. Yeah, he reminds me a little bit of the swamp hermit that we got in Werewolf of Fever Swamp in that he has no compunction about just laughing at children. So Gary's outside just chilling and reading a comic book and he sees Mr. Andretti who is really proud of himself for his relationship to his bees. And he he won't wear gloves when he's beekeeping because he wants to be able to handle the bees better. Because they trust him, so he doesn't have to. Right. Gary's watching him, and Mr. Andretti's like, What are you, neighborhood watch? Did someone send the FBI to spy on me? Yeah. And Gary's like, um, no. I'm literally just in my own backyard, dude. Yeah, you're just covered in bees, so I looked at you. Yeah. So Mr. Andretti's like, ah, the bees are getting out. They're swarming. Run away. And Gary freaks the fuck out. And then Mr. Andretti's like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. I scared a child. I'm great. Gary, we get a good food watch right at the beginning when Gary goes inside and mom asks him, you want the usual? And that means peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But they're out of jelly, so mom offers to put honey on it, and Gary's disgusted by this because it reminds him of bees. Which, like, to be fair, when you think about where honey comes from, it is a little gross. Yeah. But here's where um, we encountered something I thought was pretty weird, Alyssa. I thought you maybe would be able to shed light on. Gary's favorite food is taco chips. I know! What are taco chips? Well, the first thing I imagined was Doritos, but instead of saying corn chips or whatever, he says taco chips. And so it was very hard not to picture just a bag of hard taco shells. That's what I was picturing, smashed (laughs) taco shells, but he says he likes them spicy. So maybe they're the Doritos taco shell that they now have at, like, taco time or whatever. Maybe. That's like a taco shell, but with Doritos flavor on it, (laughs) which I understand was a very hard chemical process they had to go through to try and get that recipe right. Yeah, food engineers, it took them a long time to figure that one out. 
But I guess Gary had a version of it in 1994. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why we're so behind the times. <laughs> so after the bee incident, Gary is feeling lonely and decides to go see what's up at the playground. There are a bunch of kids he knows who are picking sides for a baseball game. Softball. Softball game. They don't want to pick Gary. He's the last one picked. And basically, whoever gets him... Also, there's a Lutz rule where he gets four strikes until he's out, and they try and put him in the positions where he's least likely to see any action. And they all blame him when his team loses. And then on his way home, he runs into three bullies whose names are... Barry, Marv, and Carl. That's right. And they beat him up, kind of for no reason. Yeah, they just do it all the time. And something I've been struck by, both in reading Goosebumps and I've been on a Stephen King kick lately, is, at least in my experience, it seems like being raised as a boy subjects you to a very specific kind of physical violence that's sort of everyday. Like, it's okay for someone to punch your face and you're just supposed to deal with it. Yeah, man up. Yeah, exactly. It's really fucked up. So I think one of the things that's really hard about Gary's situation is that he has to participate in his own self-negation to seem like a good sport. So when nobody's picking him for softball, he feels totally ashamed and wants to leave. But he knows if he leaves while these two people are sitting there saying, no, you take him, no, you take him, he's going to look even weaker. So he just has to act like it's no big deal. And that's like the shittiest position to be in. It's like you're agreeing that you're not worth much. Yeah. It feels like it. So Gary goes home and he puts on a long sleeve shirt to cover up his cuts and bruises. Like he's genuinely being abused by other children. Yeah, and more than once in this book. Yeah. uh, Mom and Chrissy are in the kitchen making peanut butter cookies. And mom asks Gary to open a jar of peanut butter for her. And he can't get it open. And Chrissy, his nine-year-old sister, is able to get it open. And she laughs at him. And his mom laughs at him. And he just feels awful. And he's like... If I just left forever, things would be better. My whole family thinks I'm a huge loser. Mm -hmm. Which is a little bit what happens in the book. Well, basically, yeah. Like, you were describing to me when we were talking about The Haunted Mask, the plot of Kafka's The Metamorphosis. And you said it's about this guy who his family just wants him to go away. And then he kind of gets transformed into an insect and then dies. And they're like, we're glad you're gone. Well, they... um don't want him to go away while he's earning money. And then when he can no longer earn money, then they're like, well, now you're just a burden. Well, that's not really Gary's problem, but it does seem like his family has not much use for him. Mostly sees him as someone to poke fun at. Yeah. Mom, when he can't open the jar, mom says, I guess you didn't eat your oat bran this morning, which... Is that related to jar opening strength? I think oat bran has a lot of protein in it and a lot of fiber. (laughs) I I don't know much else about why it would be helpful. I don't know. And you're really an oat expert. I am, although I usually like the whole oat flake. (laughs) Gary decides that what'll make him feel better is riding his bike around the block. As he's riding, he runs into Caitlin and Judy, who are two girls he knows, and he has a crush on one of them. And he's trying to, you know, smile at them and be suave. And there's a car coming and they're like, look out. And so to veer out of the car's way, he crashes into a lamppost and wrecks his bike. And his shoelace got caught in the the chain of the bike. It's every... That's what happens. Yeah, yeah. Every biker's nightmare. And I feel like Arlstein was a little bit like, how can I make this the absolute worst? Yeah. So, and he lands, Gary lands in a warm puddle of mud. Yeah. The the warm detail is odd. Yeah, it's gross. Well, it's summertime, I guess. Yeah. But Gary wishes that he were a tree or a bird or anything other than himself. He wants to escape to some world where where he won't get picked on as an individual and where social situations won't be so painful. 
I think one of the harsh realities of the book is maybe there's no form of existence where you don't have to deal with society. I think also that R.L. Stein is trying to show this person's life is so bad, it's going to explain the next sort of thing that happens in the plot and why he would do it. But honestly, like, I think probably a lot of 12-year-olds would be very glad to just escape their bodies for a little while. Like, I don't think it's actually that hard to... I think it's not really that much of a stretch of the imagination. Well, and that's what we discover. So when Gary finds this service, person-to-person vacations that allows him to escape his body, a lot of the people using it are 12-year-olds. Yeah, he finds it because he's playing this game, Planet Monstro, and he can't get past a certain level, so he's going to a message board, although it's called something else. An electronic bulletin board. Yeah. I quote, an electronic bulletin board I'm connected to on the computer. Yes. <laughs> and I was wondering, is this the first time we've seen the internet in these books? I think it is, yeah. It's 1994, so yeah. I don't think I had the internet before then. Yeah, and so basically on these forums, someone has put up an ad for this person-to-person vacations thing. And at this point, I was like, oh, is this going to be an internet stranger danger story? And it kind of is, a little bit. Yeah, I want to talk more about that, but I was thinking we've gotten a lot of stranger danger in this book. The one thing kids who grew up in the 90s heard constantly from our parents was someone on the internet might not be who they say they are. That's right. And we're like, yeah, no shit. That's what I pretend. I pretend to be someone else on the internet all the time. Exactly. On the internet, no one knows you're a dog. It was a beautiful time. (laughs) Yeah. I also just want to point out that the message board he goes on is called Computa Note. Yeah. Not computer, Computa. Yeah, with an A. Like, get to the choppa. Anyway, he finds this message board, and I I think the Kafka thing is there. The location of person-to-person vacations is 113 Roach Street. Yeah, absolutely. And it's in Suite 2B, which I think is like (laughs) a honey reference. And also 2B, like, or not 2B. Yeah. Or B. To B. B. (laughs) I think that you should, next time you teach Hamlet, you should teach it as like to B or not to B. Like this is a metaphor for bees. It's about bees. Do you think that this is a bee horror book? (laughs) I think it's bee horror. Uh, I like it. Thank you. That night at dinner to... Over what meal? Do you remember? Oh, no, I don't. Tuna casserole. (laughs) We are are squarely in suburbia. We have this weird placelessness in this one where we don't have any details about what our location is, but they have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and tuna casserole. So the most white bread of suburban America. So his parents finally notice that he's been beaten up and mom says, oh, I wish you kids would learn to solve your disagreements peacefully. And then Chrissy, she's nine and she chimes in. She's like, there's no disagreement. They just like beating up on Gary. These parents are super checked out. They're terrible. And then dad is lecturing Gary on bike safety and telling him, you're going to have to pay for your broken bike out of your own money. And Gary just is like, my family doesn't care what happens to me. Yeah, he just feels like crap, which I get. Yeah, they're looking at his bloody nose, bruised, scratched body and are like, you're a problem. You should take better care of your bike. It's like, cool. He doesn't feel like eating. He goes up to his room and then Chrissy has hidden a toy rat in his bed. Yeah, it belongs to Claus, her cat. Yeah. Spelled like Santa Claus. Yeah. And so she gets another laugh out of that. Gary can't do anything about it because she's nine years old, but stronger than him. Yeah. The next day, he realizes that person-to-person vacations is near his school, so he decides to go there. And he walks into this suite, and he's a little let down because it kind of reminds him of his dentist's office. And he gets in there, and there's this woman sitting behind this big glass shield. There's like a little slot below, and she has a microphone that she talks through. Yeah, it's like if you go to the grocery store right now. Yeah. Yeah. Or a gas station normally. Yeah, everyone's behind plexiglass. That's Actually, that's how I'm teaching right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
He goes there. The woman behind the counter's name is Ms. Carmen. She works there, but I don't get the sense that she, like, owns the place. Well, we really don't get any sense. She's the only face of person-to-person that we see, aside from the clients, Mm -hmm. who all appear to be children. Yes. Which is weird. They don't seem to charge fees. Or ask for a parent or legal guardian. Or really have you signed any waivers of any kind. I don't know. No, they're Um, just asking for your phone number and home address. Basically. And picture. Yeah, exactly. I, I hadn't thought about it quite this much, but when you're talking about this being about internet stranger danger... This is this group run by at least one adult on the internet that gets a bunch of 12-year-olds to come see them and give them a home address and their picture, which seems to be what parents were afraid we would do on the internet. That's exactly what we were all told. Don't give anyone your address. Don't give anyone your full name. One thing Ms. Carmen says, a lot of people learn about us from their computers. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's kind of like a mix of online dating or a sperm bank. Where she pulls out a big binder of pictures and you're supposed to look at the Like pic- matchmaking, like like yeah. um, video dating before online dating was really a big thing. Yeah. Or, or like I said, like a sperm bank when you're trying to pick a donor. Mm-hmm. And so Gary looks through this binder of other kids' pictures and they think they list their names and their hobbies. And he thinks, oh, my God, all these kids are stronger and cooler than me. Why would they ever want to switch bodies with me? Well, we find out why, too. I mean, mm-hmm. he has things to offer, which is... He, he doesn't seem to recognize, actually, that being smart or well-read is a virtue. He gets his picture taken. He leaves his information. As he's leaving, runs into his bullies again, and they give him a quick five-minute beating. Yeah, and he's like, you know what? Fuck this. I am definitely going to switch bodies. Just being anyone else would be better than being me. I want him to meet Carly Beth from Haunted Mask because I feel like they could share some stories about having horrible people in their life and wanting to escape. Imagine the two of them going marauding together. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, that'd be such a good video game duo. This little demon girl and a b-boy. Yeah. (laughs) Demon girl and b-boy. I'd read that comic. Yeah. I just and, And also just as long as we're bringing up Haunted Mask... I thought it was interesting that Ms. Carmen tells Gary, you could change to a boy or a girl if you wanted to. I noted that, too. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Well, because in terms of gender watch, it Mm -hmm. seems Gary's not entirely comfortable as a boy. He's not good at sports. He's afraid of everything. He can't open jars. So he feels like he's failing at all the things he's supposed to now be able to do as he approaches adolescence. Yeah, exactly. He's not good at being an adolescent male. Yeah. A little time passes. Gary is reading outside again, and things start whizzing by his face. And so I was actually a little confused by this scene. I think what's happening is Mr. Andretti is just flinging bees at him, which I realize is now becoming a theme on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, we started talking about it before it started happening, but... Before it was cool. Before it was cool, yeah. Before everyone was doing it. Yeah, before uh, it happened in You Can't Scare Me, and now Mr. Andretti. Mm-hmm. Weird guy. So yeah, Gary was just having a nice afternoon reading, but because his middle-aged neighbor is now flinging bees at him, he's like, well, I guess I'm going to go inside then. And as he goes inside, the phone rings, and it's Ms. Carmen. This is a sidebar, but did a middle-aged person who wasn't your parent ever... Fling bees at me? (laughs) Was a middle-aged person other than your parent ever mean to you in this kind of way when you were 12-ish? I had some teachers who were like that. Yeah. They didn't throw bees at you? Um, They didn't throw bees. Uh, I had one who, this was a little older, it would have been 14 through the rest of high school, but his thing was essentially being psychologically abusive to be funny, telling people they were ugly, making fun of them for being meek. That's so weird. Taking whole class periods to berate us for being bad people. Yeah. Wow. But no bees. It's a little disappointing now that I think of it. I had terrible sixth grade teachers also who was always like yell at us one through a podium at a kid. What? Yeah. And a Bible. Through a podium, though. Yeah. Yeah, he was an angry man. (laughs) 
Was that the same person who told someone that their farts were the devil coming out of them? Oh, yeah. No, that was the fifth grade teacher. (laughs) But the meanest thing anyone ever did to me when I was this age is there were these two dads who had kids in my Taekwondo class. And I was having a breakout and it was really embarrassed about it. And I was walking by. There was like a window between the Taekwondo room and the hallway outside. And they both like were calling to get my attention. And I like looked at them and they both started mimicking like zip popping. Oh, my God. That's horrible. I know. God. I know. They were like in their 40s. I don't even know what to say to that. So fucked up. Yeah. It's embarrassing. It's not embarrassing for you. It's embarrassing for the two fucking 40 year olds. I mean, I still feel embarrassed that I had acne. And that's kind of what I was really to with Gary is the feeling of, well, I can't get mad or start crying, so I just have to laugh it off. But then I feel like I'm saying it's okay for someone to treat me like that. Yeah. Best case scenario, I just have to shut down and accept it. Yeah. And then you just internalize it and feel shitty about yourself, you Mm -hmm. know, well after. Which is why I still mainly look at that story as me feeling embarrassed and not as they should feel embarrassed. As two 40-year-old men who, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's get back to the fictional terrible. Somehow I feel like this, this might also be in line with what's going on the week that this comes out. Let's get back to the fictional sad. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, I did want to, as a side note, say that Gary Lutz, his name is also the name of a writer. Uh, his first book was published in 1996. I-, I tried to look at the book for mentions of bees, but there weren't any, although my control F did discover that he says beef a lot. Um, <laughs> but one thing I did think was relevant is that one of his reviewers called his stories crushingly sad, odd, and awe-inspiring, which is not unlike why I'm afraid of bees. So I've actually read Gary Lutz, and, and I'm teaching him this semester. Oh. The reason I'm, I'm teaching him is that he just does the most unusual thing with sentences. Like, he'll do a lot of things like taking nouns or adjectives and turning them into verbs, uh, disrupting things so that it's just, it's so disorienting, even when it's a really banal story. That's so funny. Yeah, actually, the same reviewer called him a sentence writer from another planet. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of cool. This book is a su- sort of sci-fi story. Gary is very outsidery. He's spending his adolescence reading comic books and being alone. But my hope for him is that he'd grow into someone like this other Gary Lutz <laughs> who can write weird shit. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Right. So. So Ms. Carmen has found someone who wants his body and she says, are you free now? I can be there in 20 minutes. So she just comes over to his house and sets up whatever it is this thing is at his kitchen table. And she explains that this kid, Dirk Davis, wants his body because Gary is good at math and he needs someone to take a bunch of math tests for him. And For summer school. For summer school. And Gary looks at Dirk's picture and says, this kid's really athletic and good looking. Why would he want to be me? Yeah. And the kid's wearing a fashion watch, a blue shirt and lycra bike shorts, just yeah. like... Uh, Will from Werewolf of Fever Swamp. Exactly. So I guess were bike shorts cool in the 90s? Cool might be a stretch. I wonder if they were. It seems like something you wouldn't want to just wear because it leave much to the imagination. Well, I remember it being really common to wear them under skirts so that stuff, something would be left to the imagination yeah. in the event of a, I don't know, wind, if strong you're pl- breeze. If you're playing on the playground, but mm-hmm. if you're just wearing only the bike shorts. Yeah, I don't have an explanation for that. <laughs> So this brought up a science watch question for me. The idea is we're putting your mind in someone else's body, but somehow Gary's math skills are going to transfer over. No, Gary's going to live as Dirk and take his math tests from that week. Oh, I see. Although it does end up being the case that these transfers are not as neat as possible. So one of the most disturbing things about this book 
much like in Stay Out of the Basement, where Plant Dad was still a little bit dad and Dad Dad was still a little bit plant. Mm -hmm. The B remnants and the Gary remnants and the Dirk, like all their cells kind of end up mixing together and they're not, they're never wholly themselves again, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens. So three bees start flying around him. I wonder if Mr. Andretti is throwing the bees at him again. Why are these bees all coming in? Well, Ms. Carmen notes that he left the back door open. But yeah, it's weird that the bees are then coming into the house. Yeah, I feel like this was planned, maybe. I wonder if Mr. Andretti's experimenting on him. Yeah. Maybe he's behind the scenes running people to people. <laughs> maybe. Ms. Carmen turns on the machine, whatever it is. Uh, there's some sort of wristband thing. I don't quite remember the exact setup. She fusses with some wires. And next thing we know, Gary is small and flying. He, his arms are jointed weirdly. He doesn't know how to move them. He's all fuzzy. He flies to a window and he sees this horrible face in it and realizes he's a fucking bee. Yeah, he's a fucking bee. And Ms. Carmen just leaves. I don't really understand how the technology works. Or the business model. Yeah, I know. Well, I th that's why I think it's not a business model. It's like... An experiment. One day at Horrorland, one of the things that gave you pause is why aren't they charging admission for this park? What are they getting out of it? And similarly, why aren't they charging admission for this vacation? Mm -hmm. What are they getting out of it? He tries flying after her to say, excuse me, I'm B, you messed up. But she doesn't see him or just swats him away. She almost crushes him with her car. Gary's mom comes home and doesn't recognize him. Gary is outside looking in the window and sees mom talking to the person in his body, and she's unable to recognize any difference. They seem to be having a great conversation. Other Gary is eating taco chips. And so he's really sad that, yeah, his parents don't know something's different. And already it seems he's kind of at this moment and as the occupation of his body by another continues, he realizes, oh, the problem wasn't me being weak or unattractive or anything. The problem was my personality and my mind. Those are the things people don't like. Because this guy seems to be using my body just fine. Yeah, that's what he will witness over the course of this, like, couple of days. Yeah, the problem is who he is on the inside. Yeah, because Dirk completely transforms his life. He becomes popular. He's giving the girl he has a crush on and tons of other kids skateboard lessons. He beats up the bullies. That's another hard pill to swallow. And speaking of hard to swallow, Gary B. Gary is extremely hungry. So he's like, what do bees eat? Oh, yeah, pollen. So he goes to a flower and then he's like, wait, how do I get it? He, he can't quite figure out how to eat. He starts getting dizzy. He sees dad and dad tries to swat him with a newspaper, which I feel like even though dad doesn't know it's Gary, it's not really out of character for their relationship. <laughs> Claus the cat also tries to eat him. Also not out of character for their relationship. Yeah. Gary gets away, but then all of a sudden he's trapped in a net and it's Mr. Andretti scooping up bees who, I guess, didn't, you know, meet their curfew and get to the hive on time. Yeah, exactly. And I thought this was the first part where I started to understand the bee horror. Yes. Um, he drops to the bottom of the net and he has a pile of bee bodies just writhing on top of him and he's so grossed out by it. And yeah. Yeah. A bee the size of me That's on top a of me. And then tons of them, like just piles of them. Yeah. That's Yeah, that was a genuinely scary image. I think it's scary the way people are scared of pomegranates or things with lots of holes. Mm -hmm. It's a similar type of disgust of this just massive moving things, writhing little bits. Yeah. Goosebunks, I do not care for insects. And, and something that will always prevent me from Googling information about them is the automatic picture that pops up. I'm not going to learn anything about flies ever because I don't want to see their eyes up close. But with bees, it's, it's less bad. But I was reading some beef and beekeeping facts uh, this morning. But the pictures where they're all swarming on something, I just felt that like, oh, no thanks. Even though up close, individually, I think they're super cute. 
All right, so we are in an out of the frying pan into the fire situation here because Mr. Andretti drops Gary and the other bees into the hive. Gary has already been stressed out by perceived social antagonism and being kind of on the outside. And now it's really real because he's not even the same species as these creatures he's trying to blend in with. And he keeps thinking the bees look angry at him. They look like they don't trust him. And he sees that all of them are doing something and he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Which I also feel like I know that feeling. For real. And the hive is disgusting. It's hot, wet, dark, and there's just this loud humming all around him. And he's kind of lost. But he watches the bees eating, and he's kind of disgusted by the process of eating honey covered in bee spit or infused with bee spit. But he just has to take the plunge or else he'll die. Yeah, he learns how to use his new bee mouth and basically puts himself into a food coma. Yeah, well, and I think it's a little bit the hive mind, right? So he no longer has control over his own mind. He starts to fall asleep because it's sleep time and all the bees are falling asleep. It's hard being part of a collective. It's true. I was just thinking about that. Like, I don't know what bee sleep schedules are like, although I do know that sometimes they nap in flowers. Aw, yeah. they get so full. Yeah, so like sometimes you look in a flower and there's just a bee in there, not getting um, pollen or anything, but just like sitting there. That's really cute. Yeah. So when he gets up again, he thinks the bees are mad and he thinks it's because he's not working. But he doesn't know how to do his job. Or what he's supposed to be doing. And then he runs into a whole bunch of bees and he thinks they're angry, but then he realizes they're all gathered around another bee doing a dance. He remembers he read a big book of bees once, which is really lucky that he retained this information. Yeah. Oh, the bees doing this dance to tell them where the honey is. Now is my chance to escape. Yeah. Oh, in the tradition of terrible studies of drugs, there was once a study done where they gave cocaine to bees. And what they found is that on cocaine, their dances would be a lot more enthusiastic and they would they would exaggerate the like amount and quality of honey. So I always find those stories really amusing and also... Really upsetting. Yeah, like, stop fucking giving animals drugs against their will. Like, yeah, octopuses don't need MDMA. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it's like, what are you going to find out? They respond to it like they're on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, humans are so stupid. So he has to do a lot of waiting in line as a bee. Yeah. To get out of the hive. and that, to... It's an orderly collective. Yeah. He's still low energy and is kind of trying to get away from all the other bees. And Mr. Andretti sees him and says, this bee looks sick. We can't have any sick bees. And Gary's like, oh, shit, what happens to sick bees? But he gathers his energy and manages to fly out an open window. Unfortunately, runs into Chrissy, who tries to hit him with a fly swatter. And then he goes up to Gary, his own room, where fake Gary is. And he tries to leave him a message on a computer. It says, I am not B. I am Gary. Hello, me. Which I thought was really funny because I thought he was saying, hello, me. But actually, it's a typo and he meant help me, which does make more sense, but it's less funny. I am really impressed that he was able to do it. He really tires himself out from this typing. And it doesn't help because Gary just wakes up and turns off his computer. Or yeah. not Gary, but, you know, new Gary. B. Gary decides to follow new Gary slash Dirk. Dirk Gary. And this is when he finds out, oh, he's a ladies' man. He's intimidated all the bullies and is just feeling really bad about himself. And then a dragonfly comes by and Gary says the dragonfly bites him in two. And then we find out that he was just imagining it. So that's weird. But I think that was kind of Arl Stein kind of doing a stretch to make a cliffhanger happen. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, well, I can't just end this chapter, but it also can't be longer. Yeah, he also, I think, is giving us important details about how scary dragonflies are. Yeah, so Gary thinks, well, insects don't eat other insects, do they? And then the dragonfly comes, and that's that's when we learn that there is a threat from the insect world as well as the human world. Yeah, they can be carnivorous. 
And this part with the dragonfly also connects to something from Planet Monstro. Is that right? The name mm-hmm. of the computer game? So the computer game is about a character called the warrior who's trying to escape from this planet of monsters. In when he's playing the computer game, he's stuck at the part where he has to fight this dragon. So I think we get a little moment of that here. Mm, the dragon and the dragonfly? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I didn't think of that. Yeah, he sees on a message board that what he's supposed to do is stab the dragon between the eyes, but he can't figure out how to get close enough. But this is going to be relevant to how this plot plays out, stabbing Mm. a big creature between the eyes. He decides to go back to person to person and talk to Ms. Carmen. So he gets in there, he's flying at her, and then he crashes into the plexiglass because he forgot it was there. But he, there's a little slot in the window, and so he crawls under that, and he sees she has a microphone. So he lands on it and is speaking into it. And she says, oh, that really explains why Dirk has been acting so strangely. Yeah. So there was a three-way swap by accident. And she says, we'll have to be more careful about that in the future. Gary says, well, I'd like to get my body back, you know, ASAP. And she says, well, Dirk says he doesn't want to give it back. He's been really enjoying your life. And if he doesn't want to, there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Which I wondered, I flagged, is this the moral of the book? If he refuses to get out of your body and your life, there's really nothing I can do. It kind of seems like one of the major things you'd have to prepare for if you wanted to have a company like this, but... Well, I don't think they're really a company. No. And I guess the question, the the, the thing I mean in terms of this being immoral is more if someone is just in your life, there's often very little you can do about it. Say you have a stalker Mm. or... A phone creep, as in the babysitter. Right. Or you just have to work with someone who's fucking terrible or go to school with someone who's terrible. Often just that's a horrible truth. Yeah. That sucks. I know. Society, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I feel like someone could do something. Yes, there's like, plenty that could be done. Does this just happen all the time? Mm-hmm. Ms. Carmen leaves. She's like, it's the weekend. Bye. And Gary sees... She happens to have left out Dirk's address, so Gary decides to go there and finds what looks like Dirk, but Dirk is always rubbing his face in flowers, and so that's when he's like, oh, yeah, that's where the bee went. Yeah, Dirk is really excited to see him, actually, because he's Mm -hmm. like, another bee, and he gestures, like, come with me. I'll show you where the pollen is. Yeah, and it says something about why Dirk wants to leave his home life, because Dirk, original Dirk, who's now in Gary's body, seems like he would have everything going for him if he's athletic and well-liked and popular, but he wanted to leave his home. And when we go to his home, it seems like maybe his parents haven't noticed that their son has the mind of a bee and they're just (laughs) letting him wander in the yard. So I'm like, "Ah, I seems fine. Dirk has to be trying to leave something, right? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because he specifically says later that he really likes Gary's family. Yeah. Better than total neglect, maybe. Yeah. Gary flies home and he sees fake Gary, actual Dirk, in his bed reading comics and eating crackers with honey on them. And Gary says, I know you can't hear me, but I really want you to get my bo- give my body back. And Dirk says, I actually can hear you. I think something happened with uh, inner cell transfer where I have some bee qualities now, so I can actually hear and understand insects. Which is freaky. Very freaky. He seems very, very cool with it, He's though. very blasé, yeah. Gary says, okay, well, I'd like my body back. And Dirk says, you blew it. You didn't appreciate your life. I appreciate your life, and I'm keeping it. Gary is really upset. He leaves and runs into some other bees, and they seem to be menacing him. They're pointing their stingers at him, and he thinks, "Uh uh-oh, it's the bee police. I did something wrong, and they're going to punish me. They start to drag him back to the hive, and kind of at this moment, Gary also realizes there's a much bigger threat facing him than these bee police, which is that if he's a drone or a worker, he is going to die off in one to two months when the fall hits. Mm -hmm. And so he's panicking. 
he gets the idea to lead the bees in an attack on his former body. Yeah, he he does the dance as if there's lots of honey, so he leads them back to his room, and there is honey on those crackers, so he wasn't lying. Yeah, and I guess he's a quick study if he learned the complex bee dance in one try. <laughs> and he goes back to the hive and he gets even more. He gathers a whole swarm and he has them attack Dirk. They're swarming all over Dirk and Gary's body. It's really upsetting, but he doesn't seem to care because he doesn't really think they're a threat, I guess. Even though he's already mentioned that he knew that bees die when they sting someone, I guess he forgets it in this moment. Yeah, he's so fired up about getting revenge on Dirk that he stings him and then realizes he's feeling weak and that he's essentially doomed himself. And so he goes and sort of floats over to the maple tree where we opened and he was first reading a book and the world kind of fades out. Flash forward one month. Everything's fine. <laughs> so he woke up back in his body, and Dirk apparently made it back into his body. I assume that means the bee made it back into the bee's body and is dead. Presumably, yeah. But it also implies that the technology that swapped all of their bodies is essentially a bee sting or similar to a bee sting in some way. I thought it implied that none of them have to be physically hooked up to it. I don't know what she's doing when she's setting it up, but it seems like she was able to somehow remote make that happen. Oh, so maybe it had nothing to do with him stinging it, and that's just when Ms. Carmen made the switch back in the lab or something. And I they guess all... so. Yeah. I have no idea. It sounds like she had to be hooked up to at least one of them because she was hooked up to Gary mm -hmm. and the bee, I guess. She wasn't hooked up to the bee, though. The bee just sort of interfered, I think. It was landing on him or something. Probably. Probably, yeah. It has something to do with an exchange of cells, mm -hmm. and I guess that happened. Mm -hmm. But it seems like a pretty unstable technology that brushing up against someone theoretically could make you transform into them. Yeah, I wouldn't want to work with that technology as a as a technician. Yeah, and well, we're always leaving our cells on each other. Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so he wakes up. Not as a bee and not dead. He is himself in his own body, which also his body was somewhere else. So it must, someone had to have moved it, whatever. But yeah, his body kind of. He wakes up in the same place where he basically died as a bee. Yeah, so his body transported to his consciousness, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was what triggered it, is the death of one of the bodies puts everything back. The consciousness has to go somewhere, so it goes back to its own body or something. Because it doesn't really make sense. It seems to imply that the stinger transferred everyone back to their own bodies. Gary goes back to Gary's body. Dirk goes back to Dirk's body. And it's not like Dirk becomes the bee or something. Yeah, I just... So personally, I don't think the stinger had anything to do with it. I think it just happened to have gotten fixed in that moment. like Remotely. DSX Machina style. Yeah. Um, Ms. Carmen is just tinkering with her computer at home. Basically. She went on computer whatever. Note. <laughs> computer note and got some advice. Yeah. Does anyone know how to fix body swap gone bad? Yeah. We don't really get more of an explanation than that. So Gary goes upstairs or he goes inside. He sees his sister. He hugs her. He sees his parents. He is really happy to see them. And they're like, are you feeling okay? Then he goes into his room and dad's like, you shouldn't do that. There are a bunch of bees in there. I'm going to get Mr. Andrade to get them out of there. And he goes, no, I'm not afraid of bees anymore. And then he opens the window and says, bye guys. I'll see you soon. And he dumps the honey crackers out the window. Yeah. It's like when people say that's the title of the movie, but it's, that's not at all the title of this book. No. And how confusing. Yeah. Then our last chapter starts with, it's been a month. Here's what I've learned. Yeah. Everything's normal. I just eat taco chips and read comics and everybody likes me. And he met Dirk in person. Dirk apologizes and also says that the bee flunked all of his summer school tests. So it serves him right. But apparently completed the test. <laughs> Went there. It's very surprising. Was able to use a pencil. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd really like to hear the story from the bee's perspective. But my impression is, just like Gary said, I guess I have a little bit of bee cells in me and now I can hear insects. Gary is not the same Gary he was before. The old Gary is dead and he seems to have a little bit of Dirk's bravery rubbed off on him. And so now I guess that's all he needed was to be less afraid and that made him better at sports and more well-liked which is interesting in a horror genre to imply that other people hate your fear and you have yeah. to hide it. Yeah. And they'll exploit it if they see it. Yeah. And then the last note we end on is that the other way Gary has changed that he really likes flowers. Yeah. And he likes to s- stick his tongue down into them like he's a bee. Mm-hmm. And it ends with him telling us how to slurp pollen out of a hollyhock. Yeah, it, it sure does. Yeah. So that's the story. Andy, where do we go from here? Well, I have a question for you, mm-hmm. which is... Is Gary Charlie Brown? Explain more. Say more about that. Everybody hates him for no reason. Goosepunks, if you haven't seen the very first ever Charlie Brown comic, I highly recommend you go look it up. It's basically just Charlie Brown's walking by two kids and then they turn to each other and say how I loathe him. (laughs) It's pretty dark. And then also, do you remember Gary's uh, happy ending? The flowers? He meets a little red-haired girl. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And they kind of hit it off. Although I guess he doesn't know that she's not someone else swapped into that body. That's true. He meets her at the people-to-people place. But I don't know, the parts where Gary's bad at sports and everyone hates him for no reason, and then he falls in love with a red-haired girl, I was like, this is Charlie Brown. That's fair. (laughs) What about you? Do you got theories? Well, we have more incompetent science, so that makes me wonder, what is science in the Gooseverse? Because we've got lots of inventions that have really wild and dramatic effects that we don't seem to have a lot of thought for consequences or follow through or things like that. So your description of science from the perspective of the Goosebumps first is doing improbable things without a clear sense of why? I guess so. I mean, that sounds like the heart of sci-fi horror, right? Mm -hmm. If we're one genre this fits into in terms of horror taxonomies is sci-fi horror, Mm -hmm. which we've seen a lot in the Goosebumps first difference between sci-fi and horror tends to be sci-fi is about expanding the boundaries of human knowledge, asking kind of what if questions, what if we extended this, what what would the world look like? And then horror is about causing fright. But those two things overlap quite a lot because mm-hmm. a lot of it is about the unknown. We don't know what would happen and what we don't know could scare us, right? Yeah. Frankenstein or Lovecraftian horror would both be examples of this type of overlap. And so... Not thinking about consequences would be one of the things that makes sci-fi a good crossover with horror. Yeah, for sure. Let's move into taxonomies. Okay. I mean, so sci-fi horror was obviously one of them, and specifically body swap. There's a lot of body swap media that isn't just horror, like something like Freaky Friday or The Hot Chick. I also wanted to come back to this idea, too, that there isn't really a limitation to who you can swap with. Like, obviously, it can be interspecies, but there's also the suggestion that you can try a different gender. I was looking up also different body swap media. There are a lot where parents change with their kids, which is weird. Those things, with the exception of the obvious analog, the fly, they often seem to be about, let's walk a mile in someone's shoes. Let's learn to be better people. But when you get horror body swap, it often tends to be your body is being used for something you didn't consent to. Yeah. And part of that has to do with a fear of being replaced. I was reminded a lot of Let's Get Invisible in this one, that Mm -hmm. some doppelganger will come and take your space and your family will accept them as though they're you and won't recognize you. And then the other horror where I thought this got into the realm of Lovecraftian horror is the total mindfuck of having your consciousness transferred into another animal's body. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Gary doesn't know how to use his arms or legs. He's also disgusted by himself. Some of, I think the most scary moments is where he starts finding himself turning into a bee and wanting to be the best bee in the hive, like the best worker bee. Yeah, there's a brief moment where he is thinking, oh, this is how I'll achieve popularity is through being a bee. Yeah, and he honey tastes really good to him when it never did before. He falls asleep when all the other bees fall asleep. So I think that's the scary part. That's what I remember being scared of when I read this book as a kid was how I would be thinking differently if I was a bee and how estranging that would be, I guess. Mm-hmm. It made me think about the fact that human consciousness is not the only type of consciousness there could be and that the way a bee could think or perceive would be completely different from how I do. And there's something really profoundly unsettling about that. Yeah. Bees can even see colors that we can't see. Right. There are all these... Which uh, is so Lovecraftian. Yeah. Goosebumps, if you look up pictures of flowers under UV rays, there are all these flowers that we can't see it, but they're guiding pollinators to where the pollen is. Just, yeah, it's unsettling the idea that there are colors we can't see. Why is that type of disorientation so upsetting? Trying to imagine what emotions or desires or aesthetic preferences or whatever a different creature experiences. Why does that feel scary? Well, I think a lot of it is about losing the sense that humans are special. Yeah, that there's truth to what you perceive. And also that we know all there is to know, because obviously we don't, or I guess not obviously for a lot of people, but <laughs> we, um, if we literally can't see the colors on things that we see every day, we, we don't have the kind of mastery of the world that we think we do. So in some ways, as we're talking, I realize it's a little bit like ghost and paranormal stories, except with those, there's always the out of, oh, but it's not real. Ghosts don't really walk among us. But actually, there are all of these different aspects of the world around us that we literally cannot perceive. And those aren't real. In stories like this, or Honey, I Shrink the Kids, or whatever, yeah. one thing that always comes up is how much humans don't perceive this the little things that are around them. Mm -hmm. So the shrunk down person will be trying to get the attention of a human, and humans just don't even see what's happening. And so the idea that there are tiny worlds all around us that are just going on, mm -hmm. and that's unsettling. Yeah, and the only reason we're safe is that we're so much bigger. Yeah, and that we aren't paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, that we're so much bigger, right? Because when he sees, when Gary sees the caterpillar or the dragonfly up close, they look terrifying. Mm -hmm. Another way that this gets played in horror, I think, has this moralizing tone of, which you've kind of brought up already, which is you should appreciate what you have. I just watched last night this movie on Shudder, Empathy Inc., which is, is essentially about that. They're at first, they're sort of selling it to people as, oh, do you want to know what it's like to be underprivileged? And then it turns out to be something even more nefarious and blah, blah, blah. But essentially, in the process of swapping your body, you're also surrendering the autonomy of that body and the control over what that body does. So like, obviously, Dirk Gary is out doing things like beating kids up and giving skateboard lessons. And so those are all things that that essentially improve Gary's life in the long run. Be Dirk isn't doing real Dirk any favors, but it also could have gone so much worse. And obviously, it did go pretty bad for that bee. Well, ironically, even as this is a story about appreciating what you have, it's also a story where the reason that Gary's able to appreciate his life is because he becomes a different person. Mm -hmm. He becomes a different Gary than he was before he made went through this transformation. He's a little bit someone else. And that leads me to my proposed alternate title for this book. Shoot. Being and Nothingness. <laughs> Being and Nothingness is Jean-Paul Sartre's existentialist manifesto. And one of the things he deals with in being in nothingness, he does, he does his isn't a B pun. His is about being with one E. Yeah, because he's a fucking coward. Loser. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the things that Sartre says arises from existentialist thought is a lack of self-identity because, I have a quote here, 
When I make who I am the object of my reflection, so when I'm thinking about myself, I can take that which now lies in my past as my object, so I can think about who I was in the past, while I have actually moved beyond this. Therefore, I am no longer who I am. Similarly with the future, I shall never coincide with that which I shall be. So, which I shall be. Be. So, and that's what Gary goes through, right? At the same time that he's supposed to appreciate who he is, his identity is completely destabilized. He gets to have the the freedom to make Gary whoever he wants Gary to be. And also he gets to look at, because you're saying, you know, the past becomes an object. He gets to look at lonely Gary and say, that chapter of my life is closed. Yeah, he gets to put that embarrassing Gary behind him, as as you and I think try to do with adolescence, right? But then at the same time, I think once Gary has to start psychoanalysis, or once he starts writing his poetry, he's <laughs> going to have to deal with the fact that actually that chapter isn't in your past. It's still always there, ready to crop up and be like, hey, you're still 12 in some level. <laughs> is, this, is this part really about Gary? Oh. <laughs> okay, so another kind of horror it is. Uh-huh. Bad job horror. Like, he has a bad job. He Being a kid? Being a bee. Oh, yeah, being a bee, yeah. It's, a, it's like a workplace horror. So he shows up, <laughs> he doesn't know how to do the job, all the other workers are angry at him, and his supervisor, Mr. Andretti, is going to maybe kill him for being sick. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that is pretty bad. Yeah, so I said, it could be workplace horror. Yeah, because he does comment on the, like, oh, quote-unquote, busy bees. Right. And I guess that's the flip side of that. It's like, if you're not a good worker bee, bye-bye. Right. Yeah. Bee-bee. bee <laughs> Did you have any other theories, queries, shared universes? The the thing about the body swap that was sort of bugging me is... Bugging you? Bugging me. <laughs> that I was thinking about, rather. It wasn't actually bugging me. This genre of sort of both sci-fi and horror and sci-fi horror tends to rely on this sort of mind-body dualism, right? Like, my mind is something I can just pluck out of my body and pluck into another body, and I will still be me, just, you know, I'm controlling the this other machine, essentially, as opposed to the reality, which is that the mind is a product of the body, and you can't just take your consciousness and insert it into something else and expect it to still be you, which is kind of the horror that we're dealing with at the end, where Gary is no longer old Gary. Yeah, so I'm saying it's existentialism. Mm-hmm. I really like that challenge to mind-body dualism, which I don't understand how it still so persists as Mm -hmm. a way of seeing the world. On the one hand, it is horrifying to realize that your mind is a material thing and the self you think you have is constantly being lost forever by changes in your neural pathways and things like that. But on the other hand, it is a little bit relaxing, and like I said, in the sense that you don't have some essence you need to be responsible to. Yeah, it's making me think of that movie, Advantageous, where there is a company that is essentially trying to sell what person to person is doing, and their spokesperson has to become the guinea pig for it. It's so good. It's on It's on Netflix, Goosebumps. You should, you should watch it. Yeah, but there's what, what were you saying about their spokesperson? Oh, their spokesperson essentially has to become the guinea pig for it. And so we are sort of asked to con- to realize that you can't just upload your mind into a computer. Yeah. Well, and I think this actually ties in with the computer stuff Gary's dealing with because he says, it says in the back cover, Gary's best friend is his computer. But <laughs> the computer is a useful thing for Gary because it lets him extend his body in other ways. So he's, his mind gets to have an existence in the video game characters he plays and to these people on the message boards in the form of texts, the, the text he sends them. So he gets to expand what his material presence in the world can be beyond the confines of his body. Mm-hmm. 
And I think a lot of people who are really into their online life, sometimes it does feel like a extension in that way, right? A cyborg life. Mm-hmm. It's not like your body's so sacred. You can have a physical reality beyond it. You can connect with other people without having to be physically proximate. Yeah, exactly. Like you, Goosepunks. You know, a lot of times we'll say, oh, you know, the part of someone you see on Instagram or whatever isn't real, but it is. It's it's one portion of who the person is, just as much as, you know, when you see them at the gym or whatever, you're not seeing everything of who they are. You're seeing one of their public faces. Mm -hmm. And I think some people like the ability to be different things to different people via these media. Mm -hmm. Eco Watch. I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on this. This is a book about bees um, who probably in the 90s were also under threat in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're, you know, at the center of our ecosystem. And when Gary's on the message boards, one of the people who's posting is playing a game called Eco Scare 95. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which is a great name. And it sounds like the game is about finding ecologically safe ways to stop natural threats. So she needs to find this substance that can take care of poisonous ants without upsetting the ecosystem. Yeah, it sounds like a version of SimCity. Yeah. Did you have any read on this book's relationship to those kind of concerns? Well, I'm going to guess that people were also concerned about things like hive collapse in the 90s. Yeah, we weren't, but we were also We six. were children, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we were worried about bee stings. But when Mr. Andretti says, oh, sick bees, we, you know what happens to sick bees? Mm. On the one hand, it's really upsetting because he's going to kill Gary and he clearly has this um, power over life and death for these things that he just keeps for his own amusement. But also, I think it is probably an allusion to the sort of threat of, of hive collapse because that's also what our entire agricultural system is based around. So it points out the fragility of the system we rely on, maybe. Yeah, and the sort of there was a lot of attention paid to the machismo of Mr. Andretti and how he is boasting about my bees trust me. I'm just going to fling them at you because I know that you're scared. It's not an accident. Yeah, he thinks he's god. Yeah, it's weird that he's worried about the government spying on him. Yeah, that is really weird. I just feel like there's more going on with Mr. Andretti than we're getting. I feel like he's a survivalist. Maybe a survivalist. Yeah, maybe a survivalist getting ready for Y2K really, <laughs> or something. But also maybe he's pulling the strings a bit more like his sense of godlike power comes from, I don't know, maybe he's in control of more of this book than we're aware of. Maybe. I mean, my impression was honestly that he's just a guy with a regular life. And this is his like his hobby is to sort of play God for these bees and to feel really good about himself because they don't sting him. Just to go back to what you were saying about the moment where it looks like maybe Gary will be killed off for being a sick bee, I think that's related to one of the other sites of horror in the story, which is society weeding out the weak. Mm -hmm. So the other kids don't like Gary because he's bad at sports and because he's fearful. When he's a bee, too, he has to worry about everyone turning on him and getting rid of him for the greater good, right? Mm -hmm. the, the benefit of society can mean the detriment of the individual. Yeah. Shared universe? I was wondering where the technology they use at person to person came from. Could it be an extension of dad's technology from Stay Out of the Basement or the mirror technology from Let's Get Invisible? Interesting. If it's one of those, I would lean more towards Stay Out of the Basement because... Because... <laughs> Sorry. Because... Um, <laughs> I just keep thinking of that song, Human Fly by the Cramps. Where it's just like, I'm a human fly and I go buzz, buzz, buzz. <laughs> do flies buzz? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They yeah. do. A lot of insects buzz, I guess. Yeah. Well. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> here we are in kindergarten. Like, yeah. Flies go buzz. <laughs> I don't remember what I was going to say. I don't remember what flies say. <laughs> Maybe Dr. Brewer's technology of putting 
faces on tomatoes, hybridizing oh, right, humans right, right, right. and plants, is that related to this technology? If you're hybridizing plants into humans, maybe you need to hybridize bees and humans. Oh, well, that would be interesting. Only if you need to reproduce, though, right? Because those plants, they just need chlorophyll and sunlight to sustain themselves. But if they're going to have little plant hybrids, maybe they need pollen. Well, and maybe that was actually where Dr. Brewer wasn't totally thinking because he was like, oh, yeah, plants, they just need chlorophyll and light. And then his co-worker, Dr. Carmen, was like, no, they also need bees to pollinate. And he was like, oh, I was literally never thinking about kids. And they said, let's go into business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He never is. Yeah. He has no idea where they came from. Yeah. And he's like, business. So it's just you just set some sciencey stuff up and you don't take money or. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, he's never been very concerned with keeping a job. No. Or yeah. kids. <laughs> yeah. I just I want there to be a reason for this company to exist. And I, I feel like those bees didn't show up for no reason. This is always my complaint about mad science in the Goosebumps universe, which is that there's never a reason given. There's more of a reason in Stay Out of the Basement, which is dad is a scientist. Here it just exists. And I like, why? Well, that's what I'm saying. I think the why is someone's performing an experiment and the experiment has to do with hybridizing, not swapping, but as we see, a very low key form of hybridizing those bodies. Maybe the reason Ms. Carmen didn't really react when one of her subjects clearly turned into a bee <laughs> and didn't have an objection to these bees suddenly landing on the person she was about to do a body swap with is because that was actually part of the plan to yeah. see if there's another maybe easier way of hybridizing than whatever the fuck dad was doing in the basement. Yeah. Serial killing. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Good. Yes. Yes. Let it be so written. Let it be so written. <laughs> <laughs> it's still funny. <laughs> maybe the bees in You Can't Scare Me that get thrown at the main character are some of these bees. No, those were bumblebees. Oh, then yeah. never mind. <laughs> Scratch that. Do you have any final final words? None. Do you know what we're reading next? We are reading Monster Blood 2. Are you excited? I am extremely excited, not just because it's Monster Blood, but also because we are getting into our first franchise horror. That's right. This was the first one to start getting getting sequels. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to get more of those. But as we know from watching Scream, there's specific rules to sequels, and we'll have to see how Monster Blood 2 follows those. That's awesome. So on a scale of one to five bewares, what would you give I'm Afraid of Bees? I would give it three and a half beewares, which is more than I expected. But the more I think about it, the more I'm really into Gary and the the weirder I find this book. Mm -hmm. And weird is good. Yeah. So, but I didn't find it very scary. So mm -hmm. three and a half for me. How about for you? Uh, I think it's a two for me. Okay. Yeah. I I wanted more scares and more explanations. <laughs> Goosepunks, tell us what you thought. Did you like Why I'm Afraid of Bees? Do you have ideas for alternate titles? Do you have a fear of bees and want to talk about why? You can tell us by getting in touch on Instagram and Twitter at SayPodAndDie. You can also email us at SayPodAndDie at gmail.com. Listener beware. Those, Those were the scares. Good boo. Good boo. As quietly as I could, I crept over and joined the bee workers. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw them doing really gross things with their mouths. First, they used their legs to pick little flakes of waxy-looking stuff off their abdomens. Then they crammed the wax into their mouths and started working their jaws up and down like little chewing machines. Finally, they spit out the wax and used it to build part of the honeycomb they were working on. It looked so disgusting, it made me sick. But what choice did I have? I had to eat some honey, 
even if it was covered with bee spit. What was happening to me? What was I thinking? Was I actually starting to feel like a bee 